I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today we're going to talk about Veterans Day, which today is Veterans Day, uh, President Trump and the Veterans Parade, the Night of Broken Glass or Kristallnacht uh, years ago, the Berlin Wall fell because, and the idea of electing a lawless anti-American socialist as district attorney, what could go wrong? And finally, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. In today's First Five, I want to give our thanks on behalf of the nation and everyone I know to all of our veterans. Thank you to the veterans on this Veterans Day 2019, actually the 100th anniversary of the, um, the Veterans Day idea. And I want to talk a little bit about the history, a little about the composition of America, who are our veterans now, and about President Trump's role in the parade in uh, in Washington or New York today. So to start with, the USA Veterans Day falls on November 11th, no matter what. That's because that was the date uh, that the armistice was signed, ending World War One. They actually called it the Armistice Day for a few decades, and then later it became Veterans Day, because we wanted to honor, of course, our World War II veterans and all others. But today is the 100th anniversary of the um, excuse me, of the Veterans Day thing and the Veterans Day parade in New York City. President Trump kicked off that parade today. And in just a moment, I'm going to play just a short clip of what he had to say. In the next segment, I'm going to tell you things you might not know about President Trump and the veterans in our country. But in focusing on our veterans, it's a very interesting thing to think about. It's basically about 20 million Americans are veterans out of 320 plus million. So 20 million Americans or so are veterans. And the uh, the largest segment of those 20 million vote, uh, veterans who are still alive today are veterans of the Gulf War. That's the largest chunk of the 20 million, next largest chunk being veterans of the Vietnam War. And of course, we still have, I have some numbers, so I say them correctly. Uh, we have, it's actually 20.4 million veterans in America. But we have veterans still from World War II, something in the range of 770,000 World War II, uh, 1.6 uh, who served in the Korean conflict. So many veterans in our country, honoring them all today, simply put, America wouldn't be America without them. The need for brave, brave men and women to serve in our military, to fight our wars, to go fight somewhere where they're putting, they're risking life and limb, many of them losing their lives and losing their, or their uh, perfect health, having all sorts of health problems coming home. The veterans are what make us able in America to sleep safely at night, to sleep in peace because we know the veterans over the decades and today are the ones standing up for America, keeping us safe today. 
in the Why It Matters segment, at the close of the show today, there's a poem in the Why It Matters segment. I'm not going to read it right now, but the poem really is about honoring the veterans and all that they really have enabled, despite many other segments of our society trying to take credit for the goodness of America. It's really the veterans who have kept America safe and free. So we have, uh, we have as a, the segments, of, oh, and also it's a Marine Corps birthday. i got to thank our militaries. Yesterday was Marine Corps birthday. Uh, it was 244 years old yesterday. You can believe that, the Marine Corps. So we have a tremendous legacy in our country of men and women who served in our military, who are being honored today. Thank you to every single one of them. I now want to turn to the New York City Veterans Day Parade, which for the first time, a U.S. president led and, and spoke at the beginning of the parade. Here we have the very wonderful Matt, the producer, who always does, just has everything ready. Matt, the producer, I want to play briefly a little segment of what President Trump had to say in this opening ceremony for, the, for this 100th Veterans Day Parade in New York City. Today we come together as one nation to salute the veterans of the United States Armed Forces, the greatest warriors to ever walk the face of the earth. Our veterans risked everything for us. Now it is our duty to serve and protect them every single day of our lives. It is truly an honor to come back to New York City right here at Madison Square Park to be the first president ever to attend America's parade. To every veteran here with us, to the thousands preparing to march on Fifth Avenue, it'll be really something. And to the 18 million veterans across our country, the First Lady and I have come to express the everlasting love and loyalty of 327 million Americans. If you watch that on YouTube, by the way, any of the stories I talk about on my show, you can always go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. On the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, there's a link to his entire speech. There's a link to all the stories I'll talk about today. I love having you go there because I think the things I share, I can barely find time in this brief 45 or 50 minute podcast every day to tell you all I'd like to tell you about all the stories, but there's more there from that speech. But as I was re listening to that speech this morning, uh, which this speech happened this morning, uh, there were comments, of course, as there always are on YouTube. And, you know, obviously the negatives, uh, the people who are anti-Trumpers are very busy on social media. And so they're piling on, uh, you know, criticizing, hey, weren't you the guy who didn't serve? Hey, you know, what have you ever done? And just, and, and much more malicious, nasty, mean-spirited things than that. So in closing out today's first five, I love that President Trump was the first president ever to go up to give the opening speech at the Veterans Day Parade in New York City on the 100th anniversary of the Veterans Day Parade. I love how he honors our military. And the next segment I'm gonna to turn to after our first five is to tell you just some of the things President Trump has done for our veterans, for our military, um, and uh, just to give a little counterbalance to all the people who are constantly maligning him because he didn't happen to serve which I'm pretty sure is also true of Barack Obama, several other Democrats, somehow the left-wingers who pile on Trump all the time about not being a veteran didn't seem to mind that Obama didn't. But in wrapping up this first five, thank you so very much to every veteran who served this country. I know men who are veterans, women who are veterans. I have, we actually have uh, close family friends where the, uh, the husband is a, a Navy captain, Navy pilot who uh, is a veteran. And uh, he posted the most just sweet emotional tribute today to his wife to say basically 
because he was he served seven tours, uh, being being on uh, you know a, a Navy cap, uh, pilot. That his wife was home with the kids, organizing everything, taking care of house repairs, taking care of the things that have to be done, so that the veterans can serve. So thank you too for the, all of our military families whose sacrifice and hard work make the veterans' contribution to our country possible. And that, my friends, is today's first five. On President Trump and his uh, involvement with the military, I want to start with something I did not know this fact until just literally today. But President Trump, way back before any of us thought of him as President Trump, when he was merely New York City high-flying billionaire Donald Trump, stepped up in 1995, stepped up in 1995, in Veterans Day 1995, so 50 years after the World War II had ended. So this was to be the Veterans Day parade of 1945, excuse me, 1995, 50 years after World War II had ended, there was almost not going to be a Veterans Day parade. If you can imagine that, not, almost not going to be a parade private citizen billionaire Donald Trump stepped up. He donated a huge chunk of money to permit to allow the parade to go forward. He raised money, raised the rest of the money needed. He literally saved the Veterans Day parade in New York City. And this is coming from a man who is mocked, well, by many people, but certainly mocked by leftists who seem to think it just means because he didn't serve in the military, he, his contribution to our veterans, to Veterans Day, or, or to his appreciation for the military shouldn't count. But actually, you think about a private citizen, he has no more reason to be donating, I think his donation was like $200,000, yeah, contributed $200,000, so, and then raised another $300,000, and literally, in the words of parade director Tom Fox, himself a Vietnam veteran, Donald Trump saved the parade. Small fact to know, a kind of a statement without words, actions speaking louder than words, Donald Trump stepping up 1995 to say, we're going to have a Veterans Day parade here in New York City, and he made it possible through his own funding and raising money from others. Just a little fact I never knew, but onward with veterans. You know, in our country, we've had people lamenting the Veterans Administration and the, the uh, apparent failure of the Veterans Administration to provide adequate care for all of our veterans. You see stories all the time of veterans, you know, committing suicide on the steps of the Veterans Administration or dying from lack of care because they couldn't get the care they needed from the Veterans Administration. This has been going on for decades. I am sure that many employees of the Veterans Administration feel as sad and awful about that fact as most of America. Most of those employees want the Veterans Administration to provide high quality health care to meet the needs of our veterans, period, full stop. However, that simply has not been the fact. One big step Donald Trump did as president to support our veterans was he was the one who actually signed into law the provision that says that veterans can get access to the care they need even in private facilities, even in non-VA facilities, and the VA will cover the costs if the person, if the veteran can show that he or she's been unable to get the care they need uh, sufficiently. And I will just tell you that the, the basic provision of this law was, this was passed in 2019, uh, went into effect in 2019, but rules established under this law say essentially, veterans are allowed to see non-VA doctors 
if they, the veterans, have to wait longer than 20 days or drive more than 30 minutes from a primary or a mental health care at a VA facility. This is a this is what you do when you actually want to fix the problem of veterans getting inadequate care from the Veterans Administration. You can't hand ring and lament and complain. You take action. So to allow veterans to get access to non-VA care when they can't get the care they need from the VA, after all the lamenting about it under the Obama administration, even previous administrations, President Trump came along and said, you know what, we're going to get them access to care now. I remember years ago, uh, four or five years ago, I had someone on my show talking about Democrat opposition to permitting veterans to seek VA-covered care outside of the VA. And I was asking this expert, why? Why would anyone oppose the idea of non of a veteran seeking care from a non-VA facility if they couldn't get what they needed at the VA. And the answer, the description of the mindset of those opposed to that legislation was simply the left-wing mindset that the Veterans Administration is a government agency, they like control over things, they have government unions, people employed by the VA who are union members, who are therefore Democrat Party donors, and all the idea the left had was they don't want to let one of their government agencies, their precious government agencies, when one of the entities that employ so many union members essentially lose business or lose control of the whole care for a veteran's job. That was the reason. Not any kind of financial concern. It was just plain these leftists like big government. They want to leave the VA in charge of the entire um, entire process. So other, there are other smaller changes that uh, Donald Trump has made in the law relating to the uh, veterans in this country. And uh, again, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, because I'd love to have you look at them. They're a little bit uh, long to sit here and um, read. But he's done bills that in all sorts of ways make it easier for veterans to get the care they need, make it easier for veterans to pay back their education loans, make it easier for veterans to access the housing provisions that are provided for them already. Easing the life of veterans has been one area, one avenue of President Trump's presidency where he's just been stellar and should be given the credit for it. And on this Veterans Day, I just did that. The next thing I want to talk about today, um, you know, this is actually a kind of a show about anniversaries in a way. You know, we ha just had the 100th anniversary of the Veterans Day Parade, which we saw this morning. Donald Trump, you know, gave the kickoff speech in New York. Another anniversary was just uh, yesterday or a couple days ago, um, which was the anniversary of, sorry, the, the, two days ago, the anniversary in Germany of the night that was called Night of Broken Glass, or the term in German is Kristallnacht. It is broken glass. This matters to what America is today. I want to tell you why I want to talk about it. A couple other stories and tie them all together at the end of the show. But in Germany, there was a night. It was, June, it was November 9th, 1938. November 9th, 1938. So we're not in World War II officially yet. But the Nazis are on the rise. And in Germany, this broken windows night was a night when both actual you know, paramilitary forces, as well as civilians, launched an attack on, Ger on, on German Jewish citizens, on their businesses, their cemeteries, their synagogues. There was just a massive uprising overnight 
against Jewish citizens in Germany. Literally, 250 synagogues were burned, 7,000 Jewish businesses trashed and looted. They had uh, something like 91 Jewish people killed was the, was the uh, low estimate. Then the very next day, the uh, German government rounded up around 300, excuse me, around 30,000, 30,000 German Jews were arrested for pretty much being Jewish and sent to concentration camps, where of course many of them perish. But the reason on this anniversary of this, of Kristallnacht, I want to talk about, this is the 81st anniversary, a couple of days ago, is this. Some things you'll read about Germany and about this Kristallnacht, this, this night of broken windows, suggest that this was simply a, an organic and authentic just uprising of the people. They just were, they had enough of the Jewish citizens and finally the public could be held back no more and so they just launched attacks on Jewish businesses, synagogues, cemeteries, and homes. Because it was citizens, civilians in significant part doing this and the police and the fire department just stood there and let it happen. They were not putting out fires. They were not stopping the looters. They were not stopping the people breaking windows. But the reason this matters so much and is relevant to today is this. That uprising, those broken nights, was not an uprising that organically occurred out of just massive frustration of the German people against their fellow citizens who happened to be Jewish. This was orchestrated manipulated, intentionally created by the German propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, G-O-E-B-B-E-L-S, you know, obviously huge uh, Hitler affiliate associate, but German, he was then the propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels actually organized these pogroms, organized these attacks, and it was a societal, psychological manipulation convincing the people of Germany that the Jews are really a problem, you've simply got to attack them, they are destroying our country, and the people were not aware they were being manipulated. They thought they were being informed. They thought they were coming to understand the problems they were having. Now in Germany, they did have problems at that point because they had been the aggressor also in World War I. And many people look back at that time and say, you know, really partly what happened was after World War I, the way the world kind of settled the, the score with Germany left Germany poor, unable to, to move forward, unable to regrow its country. And there was a sense of resentment in Germany pretty much toward the rest of the world, that their, that their uh, lack of wealth, their stagnant economy, their society, you needed someone to blame. And the master meister, the propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, really manipulated the German people into thinking that it was the Jew, their fellow Jewish citizens who did that. So great and important event to remember because this was the, not only the beginning of the um, open aggression against Jewish people in Germany and then obviously expanded throughout Europe. But even more deeply, it was a, a really, it's a, it's a learning uh, opportunity for all of us to look at and think about how did Goebbels get away? How did he get away with convincing millions and millions of people to hate their fellow citizens? to stand up against uh, Jewish citizens who happen to be German or, or German citizens who happen to be Jewish. But this ability of people who are propagandists to manipulate society really hurt 
the world. It hurt Germany. It hurt the fabric and culture of Germany. It led to violence. It led to death. It legitimized the Holocaust in the minds of many people. It's like, well, you got to do something. The Jewish people are such a problem. You got the Jewish problem term being used. And so it was a manipulation of the people in Germany that led them to this astonishing night of just breaking glass and killing their, their fellow neighbors and robbing their homes and looting their homes and burning their places of worship, destroying their cemeteries, breaking the doors of their shops, and the beginning of really treating the Jewish people as though they didn't really belong to or couldn't really be part of Germany. That, I'm going to leave that story there for now, but this is the 81st anniversary of Kristallnacht, the German night of broken glass that was a kickoff to uh, World War II, or one of the kickoffs. Next story is that we also had uh, an anniversary in Germany. They just marked the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. And I want to remind you again, the Berlin Wall was set up to separate Western Germany, which was free, and Eastern Germany, which was socialist slash communist. It's important to understand that this was viewed to be by many the way it was always going to be. That one of the ways we settled after World War II and we had, you know, we have the communists expanding out of Russia and, we, and so we got to this settlement, okay, okay, we're gonna divide Germany, we're gonna divide the, within the city of Berlin. And for many people, it was just viewed as, well, this is the way it is. You know, we just, this is how we got settled. At least we have half the German city of Berlin free and we have Europe free, even though this darkness was spread from Russia and throughout um, Eastern Europe of socialism, communism, repression, tyranny, murder, horrific living, uh, horrific uh, living conditions, horrific life under communism. But a man named President Ronald Reagan came along in America and he had decided, you know, we have to speak up about the evils of communism. We have to call it evil. And you know, it's interesting now because everyone looks back and says, well, yeah, it was a great thing. Ronald Reagan gave that speech at the Brandenburg Gate. It was, you know, I wrote the date down June 12th, 1987. June 12th, 1987, Reagan makes a speech at the Brandenburg Gate, Berlin Wall, and says to Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And lo and behold, November of 1989, the wall came down. So this was just the 30th anniversary in Germany, just celebrated two days ago of this bringing down of the wall, the Berlin Wall. Again, I'm gonna tie this into what's happening in America today, but I wanna make a couple points about what happened <clears throat> at that time. First of all, as we've talked about in the show before, I'm sure you're aware, but when President Reagan was gonna go give that speech at the Brandenburg Wall, at Brandenburg Gate, at the Berlin Wall, he wanted the line in, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. All of the, not all, virtually all of his advisors, his, the high level State Department, well-informed, you know, Ivy League educated, very savvy, very international people kept telling him not to say that. They tried to tell him this is unwise. You cannot tell Gorbachev he's got to take that wall down. You can't say that. It will provoke anger. It will provoke outrage. You, you, you're not allowed to. It's not none of your business. They're allowed to have a wall. And what I want to say about Reagan really ties into Veterans Day and what it means to defend America. Ronald Reagan recognized and just said, communism is evil. He did not, as many people today, intellectuals do today, academia does today, 
intellectuals in his time said, you know what? Who are you to judge communism? Who are you to tell them that their system is wrong? It was this gradual acceptance of the idea of the moral equivalency of all ideas. The idea that, well, just because we in America love freedom and free markets and we love our entrepreneurship, we love freedom, doesn't mean that the people in Eastern Europe living under tyranny and repression of Russia and the tyranny and repression of communism, who are you to say, President Reagan, that they're not happy? Hey, you know, they might love it. And who are you to judge whether freedom is better than communism? Who are you to say? And this is what I mean about leadership. Again, on Veterans Day, I'm grateful for the physical, moral bravery of all of our veterans, people who actually went and fought in wars and put their lives at risk. I am grateful beyond words. But other warriors also have protected and defended America, Ronald Reagan being one of them. And in his case, instead of the physical battle, he was saying, we're going to take, along, take on the ideological battle that says we're not going to agree that communism is okay. We're not going to agree that socialism is fair. We're not going to agree that there's perfectly valid reasons to love freedom and other perfectly valid reasons to love repression, socialism, communism, and tyranny. He just said what was true, and the world knew it. The free world knew it, but it became the savvy thing in Washington to be unwilling to acknowledge it. Like it was, you can't really say there's anything wrong with that, and on top of that, Reagan decided we have to fight socialism and communism, not in a physical war, but in an ideological war. It was, a, it was an information war, it was a propaganda war, it was a spying war, it was an economic war. It was taking on the evil of socialism and communism with a variety of other tactics available to people, to free people like in America, who aren't going to have a physical military invasion of Russia or a military invasion and push in East Germany and push the Russians back. We didn't have to have that kind of war, Reagan was pointing out. We can have what came to be called the Cold War. We can use military pressure, military spending, build, building up from military, and all sorts of other avenues and vehicles we have available to fight socialism and communism. But to get to the point you can agree with yourself that that was an okay thing to do, you have to be willing to make, to have the clarity, to understand that there actually are good systems and bad systems. You had to be aware that freedom and free markets are good and repression and tyranny and socialism and communism are bad. You had to get there and then you had to be the leader to get him to the point where he would say, at the Brandenburg Gate, tear down that wall. This was fighting for America. This is fighting for freedom. Because communists, as you well know, were always, their plan, and through Russia, especially uh, the communist Russia was the plan, the socialist, the USSR, the plan was to take over the world for communism, nothing less. They did not think, okay, we have our little territory, you have your territory. Communist expansion was going to go on and on and on until America or other brave people willing to speak up for freedom said no. And this was the leadership of Ronald Reagan who said, you know what? The wall must come down. There was a great piece, by the way, um, in, um, uh, I guess it was from the Hoover Institute, 
uh, there's a guy, you know, that's at Stanford. There's a, the Hoover Institute is at Stanford, and, and there was a, a gentleman there um, who was a former speechwriter uh, named P, uh, for Reagan, and his name is Peter Robinson, and he wrote a piece, again, you can get it on our website, americachemitalk.org, and he wrote, essentially, about all the arguments the high-level advisors of Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, made to him about, you, you can't say that. You really shouldn't be saying that. You can't say, who are you to say communism is bad? But Reagan was savvy enough, and he was clear-thinking enough, and he was brave enough to not surrender to the, what is, in fact, more so today than in his time, but the... Uh, State Department, ruling elite, really well-informed, way down the weeds. We understand all this stuff at the high level. We understand, you know, some people are free, some are not, and everything's okay, and you never, ever challenge the core ideology of socialism. Those kind of messages came from his advisors. The same way today, many State Department ruling elite, we call them now the, you know, the, the deep state or the uh, ruling elite classes, same kind of advice. Don't be bold. Don't say what's true. Don't speak up for truth. You know, just kind of be gentle and be agreeable and everything is fine. No matter what people want, it's fine. That same mentality resides in the State Department today as did in Ronald Reagan's time. So one last thing I'll say before um, we, I turn to my last topic, but on the subject of this, um, the 30th anniversary of the ending of the Berlin Wall, at that point, now some of my, my listeners, you probably remember that well. Other ones, you might be thinking, I gotta look up in a history book because you weren't even born yet. But I wanna tell you that at that time, virtually everyone in America, leaving aside the communists who have had a communist party in America since whatever it is, 1920 or something. I mean, the communist party has been in America a long time, but it was well recognized as a radical, irresponsible, un-American, you know, to be rejected, never to be listened to, wild segment of thought that had no place in America. It's legal in America to be the Communist Party. It's legal to be a member of the Communist Party. But America knew, the culture and fabric of America knew that what communism was, was pure evil. Reagan could speak that way because America knew that communism was evil. Fast forward to today, 2019. We have one honest candidate on the Democrat side running for president, Bernie Sanders, who is a Democrat socialist. And when you're finished reading all the programs he wants to put into place, you realize his presidency will be one of utter tyranny. He actually praised, praised Venezuela as they were falling into socialistic ruin as the America of our future. You, you are said, Bernie Sanders said of Venezuela, you are the future of America. This is a guy who is fine with socialism, fine with communism. In fact, I shared a poll in the show, whatever, two weeks ago or so, talking about the fact that young people polled. It isn't just that young people in America think socialism is kind of cool, maybe okay. You had a significant chunk saying that communism might be a really good idea. We have failed in our country to teach the next generation the same lessons that everyone knew back at the time Reagan gave his speech at the Brandenburg Gate at the Berlin Wall in 1987 saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The whole world knew what he meant. America knew what he meant. But the rise of socialism as a, an allegedly legitimate alternative to freedom the rise of the tolerance of communism as maybe a legitimate 
alternative to freedom and free markets in this country is palpable, it's visible in polls, and it's dangerous. We have a big job on our hands in this country to get hold again of the American political conversation of academia from graduate school down to kindergarten that fails to teach the universal greatness of freedom, the idea that America is founded on freedom, the right that freedom is a right from, the idea that freedom is a right from God because you're born, which is what the declaration in essence says, we haven't taught that, we haven't embraced it, we haven't, we haven't made it part of who we are as America. So 30 years after the Berlin Wall falls, if you could have told people in that, at that time that you would have a presidential candidate in serious contention on the Democrat side who's an open socialist, who happily would agree to allow massive tax bills to pass that would essentially take away the private wealth of people in this country who have earned it. People would have said, back when Reagan gave his speech in 87, when the wall fell in 89, no way, that's never gonna happen. America's too smart for that. We know better, we know freedom is better. We know socialism is evil. We know communism is evil. But here we are, 2019, one of the battles, one of the central battles of the 2020 election cycle, and there'll be many, but one of them is going to be making clear the true evil of socialism, not tiptoeing around socialism on the conservative side saying, well, maybe some parts of it are okay. Well, maybe that. No, the reason that we will prevail, we need the strength of Ronald Reagan when he spoke at the Brandenburg Wall. We need the strength of leaders who will speak up and say, this is evil in order for us to be able to, to banish that again from our American political, at a serious level, the American political dialogue, to banish the idea that's ever acceptable in this country, to have socialism as a core idea that may be a springboard for laws, regulations, and America's government. One last story for today, and then I'm gonna to turn to why all matters to you. But I don't know if you would have happened to notice this story, but the city of San Francisco elected a new district attorney. To remind you, a district attorney is the person whose job it is to decide on prosecutions and to carry forth those prosecutions. So the police arrest people, they gather evidence, they hear Mr. DA, I have evidence, you know, Joe Blow robbed a bank or Susie Q, you know, did something, you know, stole money. The district attorney's job is to look at those cases, to prioritize them to decide which ones to prosecute, to assign prosecutors literally in charge of the enforcement mechanism of our law. The San Francisco, the people of San Francisco, at least it was by a close margin, but by a close margin, just elected as the new district attorney in San Francisco, a man whose, whose first name is Chesa, C-H-E-S-A, Chesa, I don't know how you say it, Chesa Budin, B-O-U-D-I-N. He's the new district attorney in San Francisco. His parents were both convicted murderers and part of the Weather Underground, Weatherman Underground, you know, the communist, the radical, radical group in the, in the um, 60s and 70s. His parents are convicted murderers, served time for a Weather Underground um, uh, operation they pulled out. They ended up killing three people. There's two police officers and a security guard. So they're in prison, or the mom is now out, the dad's still in prison. So because they were not available to raise their infant child, they did this while they had an infant child, he was then raised, 
You'd like to think put in a loving home with two decent, lovely parents, but that would not be correct. He was instead raised by the Bill Ayers. You remember that name, Bill Ayers, the radical, radical communist? Bill Ayers and his wife, Bernadine Dorn. So this guy, raised by two radical anti-American terrorists, those are his parents. He is a socialist, openly, happily, avowedly socialist, basically ran on the platform of protecting illegal aliens, decarcerating, his word is decarcerating, taking people back out of prison, decarcerating people, and the main ones he's interested in incarcerating putting in jail are members of ICE, like the people who actually take care and help us to prevent, to remove people who are illegal aliens in our country who committed crimes. His people he does want to lock up are ICE and the police when they engage in actions he doesn't like, including arresting illegal immigrants. This is a guy who is running on the platform. He's going to be, his job is to prosecute crime. He's running on, the only people I see as criminals, pretty much, are ICE and the police department. And so at his victory rally, so the Police Officers Association, POA, Police Officers Association in San Francisco actually ran ads, paid money to run ads saying, this guy is not going to enforce the law. He doesn't back the police. This is the district attorney. He doesn't back the police. He doesn't back us. And he is not going to allow all of us to enforce the law. He's not going to allow San Francisco to be a law-abiding place. So POA, the Police Officer Association, ran these ads. And then this guy, Boudin, wins. So at his victory rally, at his victory rally, the chant among his supporters was the F word I will never say, the F bomb word, F the POA, only they weren't saying F, F the POA. Like when Trump is speaking, we all hear people chanting USA, USA. His followers, his supporters are chanting F the POA. He also had as one of his significant donors, a woman who is closely affiliated, I know you'd be shocked to learn this, closely affiliated with uh, George Soros. So they have, I mean, I could tell you story after story after story about this guy. Radical leftist, socialist, you know, praiser of socialist administrations, um, uh, you know, around the world, praiser of communism, could not be more radical, more leftist, and then raised again by anti-American terrorists, Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, and his support in significant part came from a woman who is a close partner with George Soros. And now I want to go on and tell you why I think all these stories tie up together. George Soros spends billions, B billions, in this country funding literally hundreds of organizations with happy sounding names. You know, peace and justice, we love our neighbors. Those aren't real names, but they're all like that. They sound like, well, who would be against that? Yeah, I'm in favor, I love America. Yeah, they, they say they're the Love America Club. These are all groups. George Soros' mission is the destruction of America. It is nothing less. It is intentional that his organizations perpetually instigate outrage, chaos, 
distrust, they plant seeds of societal distrust. They work to support groups that will make America, foment in America, sense of outrage, sense of hatred of America. If you, you wonder where this hatred of America comes from in our young people, and a lot of it has to do with organizations funded by George Soros, and so they weave, they weave their way down from the evil Soros up here to a next tier of organizations around him, to the next tier of organizations beneath that, to these happy-sounding organizations advising public schools about really swell curricula to use for to teach children about the truth about America and that it's a Western imperialist power and that's a really bad place. Fomenting racial tension, deliberately fomenting racial distrust and tension and anger and hatred. George Soros is about the destruction of America. The organizations, regardless of the happy sounding language they use describing themselves or naming themselves, are all about destruction of the fabric of the goodness of America. That is what George Soros is all about. This particular woman, I'm not finding her name fast enough, I don't want to keep you on hold here, but the, this woman who uh, backs him uh, and, and helped fund him in significant part uh, was part of a group that says their mission is to uh, bring uh, better, uh, what was the expression, uh, increase justice, bring, uh, bring about justice, help, um, you know, help America improve our justice system. What they essentially mean is they want to agitate the American people to distrust our legal system, distrust our, our laws, distrust our government, and cause agitation demands so he gets around to where he can run as DA saying he stands for decarceration, letting people out. Now, I will say there may be individual um, areas of law individual states that have law, individual police departments that have some problems. I'm all in favor of actually improving our justice system, which may mean in part sometimes correcting police departments if, if some attitude has, has become prevalent, a, a racist attitude, some other bad attitudes become prevalent. I'm not saying our system is perfect. We may need to make corrections. We may decide, for example, that we are going to reduce uh, penalties for some crimes that we have in our books, whatever reasons we think the penalties are too long. Legislatures around this country regularly look at these issues. They think, well, you know, what does the data show? Are we, are we too harsh on this? Should we deregulate this? Should we reduce sentence, uh, the range of sentences for this? There's place for dialogue. There's place for conversation about whether there have been injustices in our country. There are people, and it's a wonderful thing, regularly work to, fit, to help free people who've been wrongly convicted. These are wonderful things. No one's claiming America's perfect. But the difference between working within the system to encourage a review of legislation to see if laws have been passed are too harsh, maybe we should consider uh, you know, legalization of various things, Having that kind of look at various pieces of law or, or police departments or yeah, whatever the individual issue is, that is one thing that goes to the whole notion of um, the whole notion of just continuing to make this a, a more perfect union. 
That's not what Soros is doing. By the way, a good friend just texted me. The associate of uh, Soros is named Chloe. It's a woman, Chloe Cockburn. Chloe Cockburn. She is part of his, you know, uh, his, she's part of his uh, criminal justice mission. But again, with Soros, it's never to make America better. It is to destroy the fabric and culture of this country, in particular in the case of the San Francisco District Attorney. San Francisco, like California, is overrun with illegal aliens. They have, they, they do not enforce the law. They don't cooperate with ICE, so they have more and more people who have no legal right to be in America drawn to California, and all those people, which is a topic we're going to get into tomorrow, I'll tell you in a moment, but all those people of course, they just like a magnet flow to where they will be protected. So California, San Francisco in particular, filled with illegal aliens, no legal right to be here. California won't enforce the federal laws, won't turn them over to ICE, won't agree to treat them in any way differently in many legal ways than their own citizens. So illegal aliens with no right to be here have the right to free health care, education, all sorts of things that are draining the California budget because working, tax-paying, law-abiding citizens pay taxes in so the government uses it to enable the illegal alien population to grow and live comfortably inside their bubble where law is not applied. And I'll get a little tease for tomorrow's show I can, I'm going to share with you tomorrow. We have a great guest. And I'm going to share one story with you tomorrow. We had an event in our home with Governor Scott Walker that relates to the, the uh, redistricting battle. And I can't wait to tell you about that, about Governor Walker and his thoughts. But why that's relevant here is there, there are data that show that once a district, a congressional district, goes at least 20 percent with uh, new, uh, excuse me, 20 percent of people there who are illegal immigrants or newly made into legal citizens, the percentage likelihood of the Democrat winning that district shoots you know through the roof. Point is, what I've been saying for years and you've been hearing for years is, the Democrat mission to abandon the border, to invite people in, to never enforce the border, to never enforce immigration laws, to refuse to back the building of a wall, to enable through sanctuary city policy, to allow people to stay, it's not out of niceness. It's never been out of charity or kindness. It's 100% the raw, ugly political calculation that they will eventually turn these people into voters who will vote a permanent Democrat ruling class and we will have tyranny in this country. And this is already playing out. So that's a tease for tomorrow. I'll tell you more about that. But back to this story and kind of closing out what I wanted to say about this. What George Soros has been doing to this country in genuinely, determinately, perpetually, intentionally working agitation, working people to distrust the illegal, the, uh, the illegal system, to distrust our laws, to hate the police, to hate law enforcement, to hate ICE, to think we shouldn't have a border, to, to characterize our criminal justice system as the most egregious, outrageous, unfair system ever. This is intentional agitation by Soros that turns people into angry, angry citizens who will vote in an anti-American, lawless socialist as a district attorney. What Soros is doing to America is what Goebbels did in Germany. He used propaganda to manipulate the people to turn them into angry, angry people. And it is what Goebbels succeeded, brought about the 
well, not not just the uh, light of broken glass, but the whole ability to have a Holocaust is what Soros is doing to America, his entities, his organizations. And, you know, we've spent several shows running through what they are. There's so many you can't even I can't list them and count them. But the point of them never is to get to a healing and healthy solution. The point is never to come together to understand the problem and try to heal it. The perpetual point of Soros and everything he does, it is never justice, it is never fairness, it is never honesty, it is to keep perpetual outrage as the norm in America. And when you look around in America, you can start to be worried that it's working. But this is why, among the many reasons I do this show, why I talk to you every day, why I inspire every time I give a speech, I inspire you. America needs patriots to be as active as we can be, speaking up for America, the most unique, extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth. And now I wanna tell you again why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So our first story from today, Veterans Day. Actually, I'm not gonna read this out loud, but just leave it there just for a moment, Matt. If you want anyone to grab a screen, screen grab, this is the most precious tribute to veterans and really thanking the soldier for our freedom of religion, press, speech, freedom to protest, the right to a fair trial, the right to vote, um, and you know the right to even burn the flag if you want to, but the soldier has made our freedoms possible. It's a really poignant poem, so do a screen grab if you like it. It's pretty precious, I think. Okay, next one, Trump and the Veterans Parade. Orange man bad is so sick and overdone by the mainstream media, I do think Americans are starting to say they've had enough. Donald Trump donated $200,000 in 1995 to preserve the New York City Veterans Day Parade on the 50th anniversary of the end of World War II, when 200 corporations, I didn't even tell you that, were asked, would not step up. Corporations wouldn't step up, Donald Trump did. Trump in 1995 said, the fact is you have a group of people that has been so tremendous for this country and they're and they've been forgotten. And I think that tomorrow they're going to be remembered. So that was him back in 1995. And then 2019, I love the country. I've seen what it can do. I didn't serve. I haven't served. And frankly, I had deferments because of college, like a lot of people did. And I've always felt a little bit guilty. This is the bad man the left wants you to hate. On important anniversaries, Crystal Knock, Night of the Broken Glass, on November 9th, 1938, Night of Broken Glass, 81 years ago, there was not a spontaneous uprising of hatred of Jews. It was an orchestrated manipulation of the people to foment division that wasn't real. It was orchestrated by German propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels. 250 synagogues burned. 7,000 Jewish businesses destroyed. Over 90 Jews killed. The morning after, 30,000 Jewish German Jewish men rounded up and sent to camps. Of course, many never come back. Who saw it then? Why was the world silent? What difference would it have made in World War II if those who saw the truth spoke up? Another important anniversary, the fall of the Berlin Wall. President Reagan, June 1987, called out the evil empire, called out the lies of communism, saying, tear down this wall, against the advice of ruling class advisors. The Berlin Wall fell on November 9th, 1989, ultimately because it was nothing true or good about what was propping it up. Truth and moral courage brought it down. Socialism and communism are trendy in America today, and there's still nothing good about them. President Trump is a leader. He speaks up for the goodness and greatness of America and freedom. 
He denounces socialism, and he's opposed by the ruling class of both parties. It's time for the ruling class wall to fall. And on San Francisco, San Francisco voters elected as San Francisco district attorney, a man who is a son of weather underground parents who went to prison for murder, was raised by Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, unrepentant anti-American terrorists. He ran on decarceration, support of illegal aliens, and incarceration of ICE and police for enforcing immigration laws. He was supported by Chloe Cockburn, a George Soros partner committed to creating civil unrest and societal disruption under the guise of reforming the justice system. Again, how many Americans see this? Who will speak up? What difference might it make if you and your friends in California and San Francisco speak up? And here's my last little slide, folks. I Last week after I talked to you about the um, who I see as the uh, sources I go to because you cannot trust any mainstream media, and I listed some on a slide like this, and I had people saying, uh, emailing and texting and uh, Facebook messaging me afterwards, what about this, what about this, what about this? I can't get them all in. I did leave out Tucker Carlson, who is a fabulous Fox host. That was truly an oversight in my part. In fact, I think he was on the list at some point, but these are websites. Again, take a screen grab, or remember where this is. These are places to go. If you read stories in the Washington Post, New York Times, ABC, NBC, CBS, all of the alphabet you know, news sources, you are never going to get to truth because they're all functioning as, a, as the media arm of the American left. These people, these sources I've listed here, fabulous organizations, fabulous sources for truth, places to go read and learn for yourself. So I wanted to give you time I'm not going to read them again, but I want to give you time, do that screen grab and know that there really are places to go if you deeply, truly care about getting to the truth of things in America. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. I want to tell you one quick time, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, lots of resources there. If you're listening on Facebook, please like this page, share this page, help me grow it. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to this channel. I'd love, I love your comments. And if you're listening on Twitter, thank you so very much. Please follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. Share the show. The show really grows by fan support. It's really it's kind of been amazing growth in the last year since I moved away from Salem Radio and came to this wonderful podcast studio. It has grown by leaps and bounds. And I love that. And I ask for your help to grow it more because I don't do this for any other reason than pure love of America and why I do it every day to talk about America and to tell you, encourage you that you have a role to play too in speaking up for America. We all need to do it because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? <laughs>